Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. All right, family, let, let, me, uh, let me start by blessing you. Let me start by blessing you as we get going tonight. You ready? I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully tonight. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit tonight. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need, whatever help from God you need immediately. I bless you to have the courage and capacity to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges that you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace and freedom, whatever's going on. I bless you with that. In the name of Jesus, may it be. Amen. All right. Welcome back, everybody. If you're new here or are visiting, we're returning to our study on Abraham, who is God's friend and who is the father of faith for all who believe in Jesus. Technically, tonight, though, we're going to be looking at Abraham's nephew, Lot, in the story that we're going to be studying tonight. Previously, we have seen how Abraham was called to leave. He was called to leave his family. And he mostly did other than he brings his nephew Lot with him. And, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, Abraham, when he leaves, he's 75 years old. His wife is 66 years old. They don't have any children at that point in their life. And so Lot's parents had died. It just makes sense that they would bring their nephew with him. However, God said to leave Lot behind, and with the, with the value of hindsight, not just hindsight, like Bible hindsight, we, we can see clearly, oh, maybe Abraham should have just trusted God in that, in that directive. I mean, so much of, of Abraham's story is, it has this theme of God can be trusted when he gives direction. We don't have to understand all the reasons why. I mean, Abraham's like, why, why is it a big deal to bring my nephew Lot? Why is that a big deal? Well, it's going to be a big deal for Lot. Lot's life is going to be such a tragic story, and, and we get glimpses of what his life would have been like had he remained. As we go through the book of Genesis, we see what Abraham's, the rest of Abraham's family was doing and what they were up to. Wow. It, sometimes, friends, just when God speaks, trust him. Not sometimes, all the time. When he speaks, and he, he's, he's worth trusting. Anyways, that's, that's not the point of the story today. <clears throat> so thus far we've seen Abraham, he, he leaves in chapter 12, and Lot comes with him, and then they go to the promised land. From the promised land, also in chapter 12, they go down to Egypt for a time. Lot is there with him. They return from Egypt extremely wealthy, both Abraham and Lot, extremely wealthy. They're so wealthy that the land in the area cannot sustain all both of their herds. So they decide to part different ways, and Lot looks out, and he makes a choice. He gets first choice there. Abraham gives it to him, and he chooses the well-watered plain down by the Jordan. 
And, and it just seems like the easiest, most successful, um, most prosperous area for, for him. And so he goes down to that area, and Abraham remains in the hill country. That was in chapter uh, 13, or thir- yeah, in 13. But then in chapter 14, we saw that the plain where, where a, a Lot had moved, where Sodom and Gomorrah are, gets attacked. And these foreign armies come in, they, they, they attack, and they carry off Lot, his family, all his stuff and wealth. And so Abraham goes and he rescues Lot. He, he defeats those kings and he brings back all the people and the stuff. So that happens in chapter 14. Now years go by. Years go by. At least, well, much more than 13, 14 years just based on the events that take place in the next couple chapters. The last time we looked at Abraham, we were in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, God and two angels come to visit Abraham. And they have a conversation. And in that conversation, there's several things that take place. But one of the things is that there's an outcry that has come to God about where Lot lives, Sodom and Gomorrah area. And this outcry has reached heaven. And and apparently it is so evil and it is so awful down there that God is is coming down to investigate and and sending these angels to investigate because it's apparently just that terrible. So in that chapter, Abraham then appeals to God for mercy over that area. And you have that if there's 50 righteous people or 45 righteous people or 30 or 20 or 10, if there's enough righteous people, will you spare the area? And, and so there's that intercession thing. So that's, that's where we left off last week. Today, we're picking up where Abraham has been interceding. He's been making his request for mercy. And then the two angels head off towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, before I read the story, I've got some archaeology stuff for you. You ready for that? Okay, so we've got, we got a map on the screen. Uh, now, just notice the th- three bits on it. Uh, from the top to bottom, number one, number two, number three. Those are the three areas that I'm going to be mentioning in that order. You can just see that the area of Sodom and Gomorrah is in what was, what was this fertile plain down in the Jordan Valley. We know it's in this Dead Sea area, generally speaking, because of where Abraham looks out over. He looks out over uh, the area. So we know his vantage point. So somewhere down in this area is, the, is Sodom and Gomorrah and where this story is taking place. Um, the picture that you're seeing right there is number one. It's number one, and that's called El Hammam. And that's a really interesting archaeological site. It's, again, just north of the Dead Sea. And what makes it interesting, it is clearly the location of an ancient city. They've been excavating it, but this... The excavations show that when it was destroyed, it was destroyed with intense heat. Intense heat and fire. And so they find scorched foundations. They find almost three feet of dark gray ash uh, over the place. And then they find these pottery shards. And the the pottery shards are the, the giveaway. The evidence on these pottery shards is that they were briefly exposed to temperatures well in excess of 1,100 degrees Celsius or 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Like just 
a flash of intense heat, way hotter than fire, right? We're talking like uh, um, volcanic magma, like it is of the in intense heat. So when the archaeologists, when they're looking at there's like, what could have produced such a heat and such, such evidence here? And their, their best theory based on what's going on is that there must have been some sort of comet or, or meteor or, or something coming through, but not... It didn't impact the ground. It must have exploded in the air to produce the heat and, and the, just the, the intensity of, of destruction as they see in the ground. Like, okay, that's, that's interesting. So you see that there at El Hamam, and then you can, at point number two and point number three, there's other, there's other cities. Now, now, you might look at this and you're like, is that Sodom or Gomorrah? Um, is it, it's probably not Sodom, uh, and, and that's okay. Um, it, it's in the right area, but some of the descriptions in the Bible about what was around Sodom don't match that particular hill there. But the Bible doesn't just say Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. We're going to see it in a moment. It says all the cities of the plain, all the villages, they're all destroyed. So Sodom and Gomorrah are the, the main ones that get the name, but it's all the cities that are destroyed in this area. So we see that evidence there. But not just on that hill, we see it in, in other excavation sites, number two and number three. So the pictures of, of those ones are this. And um, the, the, the first one on the left is Babedra, and the second one is Numeria. Now, again, the same evidences. Some flash intense heat that, that was part of the dis destruction there. But the cool thing about, I mean, cool, I don't know if we're, I don't know. The interesting thing about Numeria is that it shows a double destruction. It shows that it, would, it had been destroyed by an enemy invasion and then rebuilt briefly and then destroyed by intense heat. And now if you're tracking the story in Genesis, you're like, okay, the enemy armies invade, they carry off the people, the people are brought back, they return, and then God brings judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah, intense heat. It's, it's amazing how just the evidences are, are matching up with, with the Bible story. And I just say that to remind us that these aren't fables we're reading in the Bible. These are true stories. And the, the, the facts in the ground keep verifying that this isn't just some fantastical story. And it, it sounds so surreal to us. And yet, the, the evidence is like, no, this, this happened. This happened in this area. Some intense heat rain coming down and destroying. I mean, wow, right? Wow. Okay. We're going to read this story. It is disturbing. That, that's one of the whole points of this story. Like, God is disturbed by how evil the situation is. And there's going to be contexts. Uh, I've, been, I've gone through this. I've been teaching this today. There, there is tri very triggering pieces in this story for some people. And so I, I'm just warning us in advance that it's there. I am not going to be focusing on the evil. The evil is there. It's obvious. And it's the context. I'm going to be focusing on, on Lot and how Lot responds in this evil environment. And I'm going to be talking about God and what, what God's like. But man, it's, yikes, it's pretty vile. So, so hold on. Consider yourself warned. Let me read in Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 1. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. 
Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast. And they ate. So they feasted. They feasted together. I think it's interesting in this story, it talks about like what they ate and what, what they were feasting on. But they, they feasted together and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. Yikes, I'm going to stop there for a moment. So disturbing, right? Uh, in, in so many ways, you, you look at this story and you're like, wow, this, is, this, is, this, this is vile. Everything in this is awful. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about is how, right, how Lot navigates this moment. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that Lot is a righteous man living in an, in a, in an evil environment. Okay? So he, he is right. Now, how does a right, like, this is awful. Like, every, like, what are Lot's choices in this moment, right? He is, he is so up against it, there is no great choice. I think at first glance at this story, we start thinking that Lot, is, Lot must be like the world's worst person, right? He's just, well, how could you do this? And how could you uh, say, hey, here's my daughter? Like, Lot never has done this before. His daughters, they're virgins. They're engaged to be married. We're going to find this out in a moment. Lot has, has been raising his family in, in purity in this very uh, vile culture. Okay, let's be careful with Lot because the Bible says that Lot is righteous. And yet he's in an awful situation and he has this, this moment in front of him where he makes some decisions here. Now, why does he make the choice that he makes to protect his guests over his family? Well, that's because he is, okay, now track with me all the way through because I'm going to say some things that, that, are, that are a little different than how we might value them or, or prioritize them. But because he is righteous and he has taken these guests into his home. In fact, the Bible tells us why he does what he does. And it's, it was right there on those last words. It said, leave these men, for they are my guests, it said at the very, very end, they are my guests and are under my protection. They have feasted together and now as his guests, they are under Lot's protection. And so what does a righteous person do when he has brought people under his protection and then the city rises out? He decides in his righteousness to protect them as he has, as he has decided to do as, by bringing them into his home. Again, he is in an awful situation. There is no great answer here in this moment. 
And, and I would say he does care about his family. He does care about his daughters. He, he, is, he is protecting them. And, and to put his daughters out there is to bring so much shame on them, so much shame on himself, so much shame on the whole family. He's, he's not just being like self-protective here. We, we might read it that way, but he, he, is, he is willing to go to the worst, live through the worst realities as a family because he is going to be per- taking um, full responsibility for the guests that he has invited in his home. Can you see, can you see how that could be perceived that way in, in, that, in that culture? He, he's willing to take it on because that's how much he values his responsibility as the host. It should point and help us understand David in Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And it it goes, in verse 5, David praises God for something. And and he says this. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, it's basically the same context right there with Lot. They're, in Lot, they're feasting together, surrounded by, then they're surrounded by their enemies. In Psalm 23, God, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Why is David praising God about this in Psalm 23? It's not because he gets hungry when he fights. It's not because of blood sugar levels. It's because God is righteous and trustworthy. And so if God is going to host David, if he's going to prepare a feast as the the host, then David can know for absolute certainty, even if he's in the presence of all of his enemies, that God is going to take care of him. Because that's what the host does. The the primary role of the host is to take care of the guests. And when God is hosting, it's it's going to take place. And, and David's like, I can, I can know for sure. I'm certainly going to be safe. This story is so disturbing. And, and, I, and I know that it's, it's a, something to wrestle with. But this moment is a glimpse not of somebody who doesn't care about their family at all. No, this is a glimpse of somebody in the worst lose-lose of situations. Choosing to take seriously uh, in the most righteous way, their role as host, even at the worst cost to himself and to their family. Oh, but the whole thing is awful, isn't it? It's just evil. Let, let, let's keep going. Verse 9. So the people are outside. Stand back, they shouted, the people outside. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men, and they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so that they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they asked? Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, and we've read about that context, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. 
So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zor, which means little place. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, when I titled this message, I titled it Righteous, Rescued, Ruined. Righteous, Rescued, Ruined. Lot as a righteous man, but he has been tragically foolish in his decision makings. Now, as a reminder, we're not just called to, to uh, be forgiven to believe in Jesus, to be forgiven and saved. We want to do that. That's not all we've been called to do. We're not only called to be forgiven, but we're also called to live a godly and righteous life. But again, that's not all we've been called to do. We're called to be forgiven, to, to live a righteous life, and to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, meaning to learn what God has directed us to do in the Bible and follow what God has written down for us and to listen when God gives us directions and when God gives us directions to do what he says, how he leads. There, there, there's all these pieces. You can be a Christian. You can be a Christian who is saved and yet not follow Jesus and, uh, towards, towards pain and loss. Or you can be a Christian who's a godly Christian, but if you're not obedient to a directive of God or a command of God or, or listen, listening to God, you can be setting yourself up for a lot of pain and misery. And I think a lot of Lot's story is one of a righteous man who's just not been listening to God. If you compare Abraham and Lot, they're both supremely wealthy, and yet Abraham's life is marked with God meeting with him, talking with him, setting up altars, worshiping God in this place. Lot, it never says he prays to God. It never says he heard from God. It never says he built an altar to worship God. It never indicates anything there. I mean, he's a righteous man, but he's not seeking to, to hear from God. It seems like his life choices have been made on what seemed best in his own eyes, even though he's righteous and godly. 
much to his own pain and tragic, tragic responses. He, he kind of reminds me of the parable of the sower that Jesus tells. And there's, there's four so, soils, I guess, the parable of the soils maybe. There's four soil types. The third one says this in Matthew 13. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Now when we read that parable, we always want to think of ourselves as the, as the good soil that produces 30, 60, or 100 times what is sown. But there are so many people like Lot in our generation who are righteous, who are godly people, but let's say too full of worry. I don't know if you know anybody like that, a godly person, but somebody too full of worry. And, and as a result of, 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 of their worry, they're, they're not producing all that they could be producing, Jesus' fruit in, in their context. They're righteous, but too full of worry. Or, in Lot's case, maybe uh, righteous, but too focused on wealth. Too focused on wealth, and so they're not producing the Jesus stuff, the, the, the God stuff in their lives, and you're not seeing any evidences of, of God stuff around Lot's life. And with Lot, he has lost, he's, in this story, he's losing everything. He's losing everything, every drop of wealth, and he's, just, he's about to start living in a cave. Like, he loses every bit of, of his wealth. And, and I just want to remind us, friends, like, keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. If he blesses you with more than you need, praise God. May it be, may it be your story. But first and foremost, whatever your path, make sure that you're setting your heart to listen and follow Jesus. It's the main difference between Abraham and Lot here. Not only does he lose his wealth, Lot loses his family and, and the faith of his descendants. Now, I just find this so sad and, and so tragic. Lot was righteous, but tragically foolish when it came to his family and, and raising his children. He, he's raising his daughter daughters in the evil environment of Sodom, and yet no matter what they end up seeing God do for them, rescuing them, rescuing them out of Sodom before it's destroyed, even rescuing them from, from what was about to happen at the house when the, when the village surrounded, they get rescued from that as well by the angels because the angels strike the town with blindness. They, they have been saved in such significant ways by, by God and by God's goodness, and yet... They don't seem to be women who are willing to trust God about their future in life, and they continue to make awful decisions in, in, in their life. If you're looking um, at the story, I mean, my mom says, so I, I trust her, right? My mom looks at this passage, and she says that uh, he, she believes that Lot's wife is from Sodom. Uh, and... You know, the reason why, because she's never mentioned before Lot moves to Sodom. He's been there about 20 years. Could, could be. It could be. But wherever, wherever um, Lot's wife is from, his daughters were born and raised in Sodom and in that environment. And yet, 
no matter what Lot did in his righteousness to protect his home and his family, they just don't believe in God themselves. And, and, I, and I think at this moment of just like the, the prayers, again, my, I'm going to get a video of this. I've asked my daughter for a video of this. I'm like, next time they sing Jesus, uh, I speak Jesus, and, and in Conan, they're like, Jesus for my family. And I'll, I'm like, get a video of this. I want to see this with my own eyes because you have hundreds of, uh, of people that are worshiping Jesus, calling on Jesus, and they want Jesus to break through in their families. In, in their un, in brothers and sisters and, and family and parents that don't believe in Jesus. And so when they're like, Jesus for my family, I speak Jesus for my family, like, the, the, like they're just going nuts. And, and they're just thinking about people and their family and, and naming names like, yes, I want God's break. And maybe you have people in your family that you want to see saved. And you want salvation to, to come through. I mean, Lot doesn't have that joy right now with his daughters. And it's, it's, tra- it's tragic, it's sad. Now, I understand as a parent that you can only do so much with, with your family. You can only do so much when it comes to raising kids. Um, all parents seem to have parental guilt. <laughs> I, I should have done that better, or I wish I would have done this better, or I, I wish I was better here. And I get that. Um, no parent is perfect. Your parents probably weren't perfect. Uh, if you get the joy of being a parent someday, you probably will also not be perfect. But the thing is, when it comes to raising kids, no matter what we do, like, there are limits. There's limits in, in, in how effective we can be at raising our kids to know Jesus and to believe in Jesus. But I do encourage you... Uh, when that day comes, to do what you can do. And what can you do? You can pray for them. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for their salvation. The, your, your kids can know that you are a praying person who is praying for them. You can do that. Secondly, you can live a life that shows your children that you believe in Jesus. Now, don't start when you're a parent. You start now. You start praying now. You start, you start sh- showing people that you do believe in Jesus. I mean, I remember my parents reading their Bibles. My kids will remember me uh, and, and my wife and I reading our Bibles. Uh, they see us behind closed doors. Do they see people who are trying to follow Jesus? I hope so. I, 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 I would guess so. Or are they seeing people who are more obsessed about other things than, than Jesus? Does my life show that I am following God by my choices? And do I, does my life show that... Um, God is most important to me. Uh, but anyways, you can pray for your kids. You can live a life that shows that. You can prove to your children that you find God priceless. You can prove to them that you find God more important. And one of the timeless ways that we, we, we show that is by going to church. As simple as that sounds, by, by going to church. It shows our children that God is more important than every other Sunday option that we have. God is more important than every other Sunday option we have. The, the parents who casually prioritize church, it makes a statement that kids are learning and they're picking up because the kids are, are sharp. And they're learning something like, you know, church is nice. It's, it's something that we do when there's not more important things going on. Or it's nicer. When we feel up to it, we go. Or, yeah, what, what is the statements that, that we're making there? But we want to prove to our children that God is priceless. And so consistency there. And then fourthly, talk about God. 
That's a way that parents can, can bless their kids. Talk about Jesus. God chose, I mean, if you're in a Bible read-through group, you've read Genesis recently, and you saw that God chose Abraham so that he would instruct his children to, to know him and, and to follow him. Not just, to, not just for Abraham, but to instruct him. And then I noticed in, in Exodus, I was just reading this last week here, and in Exodus, there's all these like children moments, like just sprinkled through, where it's like, oh, by the way, tell your kids that this is why we do this. Or tell your kids that this is what happened and what God's like. like there's all these like tell your kids moments. It's like the author is, is reminding those who are listening that I want you to be teaching the next generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, you know, I want, you know, talk about God when you're sitting in your home to your children, uh, when you're walking along the road, when you get up and when you lie down. Like, talk about Jesus. And man, I, I just encourage you, like, uh, there, there's no guarantee that, that, that our kids are going to follow Jesus. Even if you do all of these things and you do them all amazing, there, there's, no, there's no guarantee but if you do set your heart, your heart out to pray for your kids and to live a godly life and to, and to talk about Jesus and teach them about Jesus, they have a much better chance of following God. With Lot, his daughters, they, they go really messed up. And, and we're not going to read all the story that, that follows, but man, his daughters just go off, and that's so tragic. I just find the story of Lot so sad with his kids with, his, with just his wealth, and just as a righteous man who just isn't following God, who isn't listening and worshiping God. That's Lot. Now, I don't want to end there because I do want to talk about God briefly. In this passage, in this story, in the, in the destruction of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain here, we see in God that God is Everything we hope he is. In this story, we see that everything, that, that God is everything we want him to be. He is a God who sees evil and he says, no more. I'm putting an end to it. He's a God who, who hears the cries of, of those who are calling out that there's evil and injustice happening. He, he hears the calls of those who are abused, who are being mistreated, who are being terrorized, who are being sinned against in evil and awful ways. He hears that, he sees that, and he says, no more. I love that about God. This is the God we want, who sees, who's paying attention, and who can act with great power against those who are doing evil in answer to those who cry out and ask for his help. Now, I know that most people don't think God is quick enough in his answers, in his rescue, and, and I understand that, but if you find yourself ever in an evil situation, keep calling out to the God who hears, who sees you, who is paying attention, and who will eventually act in bringing rescue to you in your situation. I believe that he will. I believe that he will. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, though, and now this is for us, we're called to live with a holy fear of the Lord. And one of the reasons why we live with a holy fear of the Lord is because God does see when we sin against other people as well. And when we hurt other people. 
And this holy fear, that the fact that we know that God is a God who sees it even when we hurt other people and acts against that, it's supposed to keep us from sinning. Exodus chapter 20, right after the Ten Commandments. The fear of the Lord is to keep us from, from doing evil and from sinning against those. So we, we marvel at God for his rescue, and yet we're also humbled and we're like, okay, we're going to restrain when we feel like uh, treating others poorly. I love this about God. I guess the last thing I want to say I, I love about God is, you know, even though there was a lot that was messed up, and that Lot didn't respond well to the, to the call to leave and to hurry and to go. In fact, his family had to be gra- physically grabbed and drug out of the town, out of the city. What happens and God's, and God's rescuing of them was in direct answer to Abraham's request. In fact, the last couple of verses I'm going to read today are in verse 27. It says, Abraham got up early that morning, and he hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities of the plain. I'm going to keep telling you this as long as you're here. God hears prayers. God hears your prayer requests. So keep praying. Keep praying. Because your prayers can make a massive difference in your life, but also in those that you're praying for, as Abraham does for Lot here. Keep praying your fasting points. Keep those, hold on to those. Keep inter- bringing those before God. Now the challenge for today I, I wish I would have done a better job with the challenge. Okay, so get the heart of it. I- ignore the poor, the poor words. Let me explain it. The challenge is, it says, if someone was watching your life closely, would, would they be absolutely convinced that Jesus is extremely important to you? The answer is probably no. Uh, you know, like, I mean, depending on where you're at. What is your next step for being more convincing? Poorly worded. I don't like how I did that. What I wanted to say is, what is your next step? What is your next step for being uh, in faith and for following God? Whether it's in godliness, in righteousness, in prayer, what is your next step? Sorry about that challenge. I'll, I'll try and do better. I want to do a prayer time. And the prayer time is going to be focused basically on Jesus for my family. All right? So, don't, don't do this. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to stand and we're going to uh, pray. I'm going I'm to say some words. And, and if you feel like those words don't capture your heart, that's fine. Don't pray them. That's fine. But the, the words are going to be this simple. And we're going to be praying for our family. We're going to pray, Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. And then we're going to pray, have mercy on my family. Bless my family. Save my family. I'm thinking salvation there. Bring, save my family and fill my family with more faith. Those, those are the, the simple lines, the simple prayers. Um, I invite you to stand with me. Go ahead and stand with me. And I want you to be thinking, okay, who, am I, who are you praying for right now? Are, are there people in your family who don't know Jesus, who don't believe in Jesus? That, you, that you're going to be like, okay, these are the names. Just bring them to mind. Or people who who have low faith in God right now and you want to see their faith go up in God. 
What family? What extended family? Cousins? Uncles? Do you want, do you want to see salvation or God's breakthrough in their lives? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with these words and just, just repeat them after me if, if they seem the right words for you. Uh, Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Let's try that again, the, the rumbling. I, well, that, that was cool. <laughs> we started praying and the, wow, all right. Okay. Let's try that again. We'll see what happens. Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Let, let's do this again. Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Jesus, you are my God who hears and answers prayers. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my family. Bless my family. Bless my Save my family. Save my family. Fill my family with more faith. Fill my family with more faith. Let's do that again. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my family. Bless my family. Bless my family. Save my family. Save my family. Fill my family with more faith. Fill my family with more faith. You're thinking about your people. You're thinking about those names, people in your family. Let's one last time. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my family. Bless my family. Bless my family. Save my family. Save my family. Fill my family with more faith. Fill my family with more faith. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray that everyone's family comes to have an opportunity in these next weeks to believe and be saved. That you would give them uh, uh, opportunities to hear the gospel and to respond to you. And I pray that you would move hearts to want to uh, believe in, in you. And uh, why, why should you hear this request? Why should you answer? Because you are worthy of people responding in belief that you are who you are. And, and just praising you for the forgiveness that's available through Jesus. You are worthy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.